right, welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for all your support and for believing in me. And I'm so excited once again to have another amazing person, an amazing guest. His name is Devin Thorpe. Welcome. It's an honor to be here. Gosh, thank yeah. you, Todd. Oh, absolutely. You know, I had the honor of being on your podcast a few years ago. We were just talking about and uh, what a great experience that was. And and you're doing such good things in this world. And, and that's why I'm having you on. You're a good person and you're making a difference. Um, before we get into uh, learning a little more about Devin, I need to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me. And again, for all your listeners, thank you for all your support. It's been a wonderful ride. And and here we go with another amazing story that you guys get to enjoy. So a little bit about Devin. Um, Devin is a best-selling author and a new media journalist. He calls himself a champion of social good, which we'll get into here in a minute. As a new media journalist and founder of the Your Mark on the World Center, Devin has established himself as a champion of social good. As a Forbes contributor with over 500 bylines and over 2 million unique readers, which is really cool, he has become a recognized name in the social impact arena. His Your Mark on the World show, featuring over a thousand celebrities, including me, That's CEOs, right. billionaires, entrepreneurs, including Bill Gates and others who are out to change the world, give him a recognizable face as well. And, and you really have, you've interviewed some amazing people. Um, you've helped many nonprofits raise millions of dollars, um, especially uh, you know that live stream with the YouTube and hashtag Giving Tuesday. Um, you've done, you know, featuring over 90 interviews with nonprofits, which is beautiful. And you've been a CFO for a large corporation. Um, you've, you've lived all over the place. You travel a ton. Um, you're married to your supportive wife named Gail. You have a son named Dayton who uh, works in San Francisco. Yep. So, I mean, the list goes on and on, but uh, I can't wait for us to hear, you know, more about you and Again, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be invited. I appreciate it, Todd. You betcha. So what does it mean when you call yourself a champion of social good? Explain that to us. It's simpler than it sounds, but uh, I just advocate for people who are doing good to help more good happen in the world. Right. So how do you, how do you go about doing that? What's, what's... So my, my tools are my writing, my speaking, my show, uh, just trying to, you know, bring attention to people who are doing good, the solutions that are working, not just the people, but the things they're doing, the solutions that work to expand and build on those kinds of things so that people do more of that. And so we can either emulate the good or support the good with our okay. work and activities. Love that. So um, you have, um, it's called Your Mark on the World Center. Explain what that is. That's me. That's just you. <laughs> there you and go. I, you know, I have a, a team of contractors that help me do a variety of things, uh, you know, as needed. Some every week, uh, you know, or every day are helping me a little bit. Others right. uh, as needed on a less frequent basis. But it's pretty much me. I'm the full. I'm the one full time guy at the <laughs> Your Mark on the World Center. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I want to know more. We'll we'll get to uh, more of that here in a minute. But tell us a little bit about you. You know, growing up, where'd you grow up? A little bit about your family life. Well, I uh, I grew up here in Utah, uh, mostly in Salt Lake, and uh, I had a real formative experience when I was eleven, back in nineteen seventy six. Okay. 
That year, the Teton Dam, just uh, outside of Rexburg, Idaho, was filled for the first time. Brand new dam, and right. it failed. And uh, the first time they filled it, and right. after it was full, and so it uh, completely wiped out the little town of Sugar City that was right below the dam, and then uh, downstream, it it damaged or destroyed about eighty percent of the structures in Rexburg at the Jeez, time. Wow. So so people came from all over the mm -hmm. Western United States, especially Mormons. The the um, Rexburg is was kind of a Mormon town. It's right. where uh, BYU Idaho is now. The old Ricks College, and it oh, was yeah, there okay. then. Okay. Uh, and so uh, you know, people went from all around up to Rexburg to to be of help. And so one day that summer, my dad grabbed me and said, "Devin, would you like to go to Rexburg with me?" I said, "Sure, I'd be happy to go." And and you know, digging muck and mud out of basements sounded like a good time <laughs> to me. Yeah, right. So. So we got on buses about two o'clock in the morning, rode all night, got there at dawn, worked all day, uh, got back on the buses and came home. And as I reflect on it, I recognize now I really didn't do any good. I, I was of no help. Right. Uh, I was 11 years old. I was probably in the way yeah. more than I was helping, but I didn't know that. Right. I was not self-aware enough as an 11-year-old <laughs> to appreciate yeah. that I was not helping. Yeah. And uh, I did try to help. I was totally in, engaged the whole time, but it, it was serious work, and I just was not really up to it, I'm being honest. Right. But, but because I thought I had made a difference in people's lives, and certainly I recognized that we had made a difference in people's right. lives. Right, yeah. Uh, it became one of the most life-defining moments uh, of my whole life, not just to that point, but to now. To I now, look right. back and still uh, recognize the incredible impact that that had on me. Um, and so I, I, I promised then that I would never miss an opportunity to serve others. I did miss lots of opportunities and still do. But about uh, eight or nine years ago, I got fired from the best job I'd ever had as the mm -hmm. chief financial officer for a global food and beverage company and decided to sort of channel that enthusiasm of my youth for doing good and right. launched a new career. And it, you know, it's, it's shifted, it's turned a little bit over the years, but I've, I've stayed pretty much on track. I've written six books and you know, written for Forbes and right. done my show. And, sure. uh, you know, I've plugged away at that diligently now for about eight years. Okay. Uh, and it, it's been delightful in the extreme. Right. Uh, because I'm constantly talking to people like you who are doing good in the world, who are making a difference in the lives of others. And we're talking about real problems and real solutions yeah. all the time. And right. it just inspires me. Sure. Uh, I'm just left full all the time. Right. That's beautiful, beautiful story. So it was your dad that took you up to there yep. to, to, at, at age yep. 11? Yep. Was this kind of how you were raised? Like, you know, was that your dad's kind of, hey, we're going to pitch in and help? Yeah. Is that kind of where you learned that from? Yeah, I remember one of the first... 
one of my first real clear Christmas memories was probably 1970. So I was five. Okay. And dad was working as a volunteer as a chaplain at the prison. Okay. Uh, here in Salt Lake, so at Point of the Mountain. Uh, and he wanted to give every prisoner a little Christmas something. And so mm. we made little tiny st- st- Christmas stockings and okay. put a little, uh, 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 what do you call them? Candy cane, candy cane, little yeah. candy cane in each of these little tiny stockings <laughs> for all the prisoners at the prison. I remember yeah. we were just sitting there all night cutting out felt <laughs> right. and sticking the little thing in and uh-huh. gluing them and, and the whole thing. And um, that was that was my dad at his best for sure. And certainly I hope I learned some of that sure. compassion uh, yeah. from him because, you know, it was he's a great role model in that way. Yeah, it sounds like that, man. And um, so, growing up, did you have you talk about? Do you have siblings? Was it just you? Yeah, or? I have five siblings. There were six of us. Okay, uh, you know, good sized, you know, old school Mormon family. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it was it was interesting. We're a little bit spread out. So my youngest brother okay. is twenty years younger than I am. Okay, uh, so he and I didn't sh- really grow up together. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, I have this brother that I—I uh, I don't want to say I barely know him. Of course, I know him well, but we don't have any shared experiences from growing up because he wasn't there when so I grew apart, up, and I yeah. was gone when he grew up. Yeah. So we don't, you know, that you think about. I, I don't know if you have siblings. I Todd, do. But, I have two. Yeah, and they were closer together. Yeah. So you grow yeah. up with them, and so I, yeah. my other siblings, all of them, to a greater or lesser extent, I—I I grew up with them. Yeah. Um, but certainly my youngest, I really never did live you know, with him. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, being that far apart, I mean, you're out of the house. You're gone. You're doing yeah. your thing. I, you I was on <laughs> a, a mission to Argentina when he was born. So I had oh, already, wow. I was gone. I, I came home for a few years. And, and so he kicked around when when he was really young. Uh, I was around a little bit. But um, anyway, he was, I think he was three or four when I, yeah. Moved out for good and got married. Okay, are you the oldest? Yeah, yeah, I'm you're the oldest, you're the yeah. oldest. right yeah. on. So, uh, growing up, what were you involved in? What did you, you know? What were some things that you were involved in other than helping other people? You know, your dad kind of pushing yeah. you in the way, but um, I, I was uh, always uh, a fan of student government, and I, I remember I. Uh, was running for I think seventh grade president. Mm. Um, sort of been a couple of years after uh, the Rexburg experience, and and uh, my best friend agreed to be my campaign manager. Okay, and uh, my mother was really the campaign manager, right? So right, we were sure. doing what she said, <laughs> right? <laughs> and. Um, so we came up with this slogan. I think the slogan was "Thank Heaven for Devon." And so my <laughs> campaign manager was going to come out on stage wearing an angel costume to introduce me at the student assembly. And like one minute 
before we went on with like, I mean, he just crying. He just said, Devin, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I cannot wear the angel suit and introduce you. I'm sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> and I can't remember now, and it's horrible because we were not super close friends, but this other dude You're right. at the last minute stepped up and said, oh, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so, you know, he was awkward and stumbled, uh-huh. but he at least was willing to put right. on the angel suit and sure. introduce me. Of course, I, uh, one person said uh, she voted for me. And so, and I think I voted for myself. So I think, I, I know there were two people at who voted. At least two votes. But it was, it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> but fast forward six years um, or so, I, I ran for student body president. And it was interesting. I'd been on the debate team, and the debate team kind of hijacked. I don't want to say hijacked, but they really stepped into the process of the student elections and said, you know, this tradition of just electing the best-looking kid on the football team to be the president has got to stop. And so we're going to have some real debates and so there was a series of debates with all of the candidates. Well, I was on the debate team, okay. right? And so right. these are my friends. And I don't want to say that it was rigged in any way, but, you know, they the, right. they brought the process to my skill set. Yeah. Uh, and so I won and became right, sure, yeah. the, the student body president. And, uh, you know, that—, that is one of those things that can be meaningful in life, right? Just as it, it's validating. Right, right? exactly. But yeah. I, I remember going to the 20-year reunion, and no one remembered me. And when I say they they didn't just not recognize me, it's like when I would say things like, I'm Devin, and they'd say, yeah, I don't, I don't remember I you. So remember. I, was, I was the student body president, and they go, yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember you. Really? <laughs> And wow. so it was it was a fun reminder in a way that is as important as that was to me it mattered not at all to anyone else. Right. Uh, <laughs> You're like who are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. you know I think um you know we all have a, an exaggerated sense of our importance in the world. Um what really matters I think is in the end what we do. What we uh, do, and yeah. do for others. Yeah. Uh, because that they never forget. Right. Well, and I want to get into that in just a sec, but I wanted to ask you just a quick question around what were, did you struggle as a kid? I mean, I mean, I know all kids struggle on some level, but you come across as this very confident, you kind of put your mind to something, you go do it. Yeah. You know, so talk about that a little bit. You know, you had that drive, but, you know, what were some of the maybe the struggles as well? I um I am I am and have been throughout my life extremely fortunate, blessed. I'm uncomfortable with describing how I came to be this way. Certainly I deserve no credit for it. Um I took advantage of some of the opportunities mm-hmm. in front of me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was able to go to Cornell for graduate school. I got into the U and did did well there, but um as an undergrad, but um, as I look back, uh, I can certainly see that there were countless opportunities where I got help from other people. 
Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I've had this life that was sort of greased lightning. And right. uh, yeah, that that tends to build confidence, sometimes undeserved, right? Sure, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, as I look back on my life, almost all of my challenges were self-inflicted, right? It's things like yeah. running for a seventh grade class president and being embarrassed, right? Right. Being humiliated in that in that process, sure. right? Because I was a dork. Um, <laughs> but I brought that on myself entirely. Yeah. Uh, I have not had any hardships uh, like so many other people. I mean, you think of people that have dealt with uh, bad parenting, right. uh, poverty, uh, racial injustice. I mean, people go through all kinds of hell that I never had to deal with. Yeah. You know, my big trauma is, you know, being humiliated in the seventh grade because right. I thought I should be the student class president, right? Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I've had a charm charmed life by and large and well it's uh, interesting you say that and i'm and that's and i appreciate you you just being honest about this is because typically when someone goes through something really difficult it usually uh bleeds into what they do later in life like helping other people and here you are helping so many people but it stems back from that experience you had at 11 years old with your dad helping those you know families that had their houses destroyed by that yeah you know dam breaking so that I just think that's really cool that at su such a young age you started to realize, you know, I can actually make a difference, yeah. and I love that because you don't have to go through a hardship per se to then be able to give back. You can give back by just choosing to, based on an experience yeah. maybe you had. Well, I think those of us who have been fortunate to avoid or to not have imposed upon us right. challenges in life. Uh, I think we have a greater obligation. Uh, uh, I can't even remember. You know, we we're all fond of the the saying where much is given, much is expected. Yeah. I think that's actually a misquote. We we say that <laughs> all the time. I think the that comes from uh, the New Testament, and I think the phrase that's there is where much is given, much is required. Mm. Um, it's yeah. a very high standard, I think, that the New Testament sets for those of us who've been sure. fortunate. And yeah. I'm not at all convinced. As much as I devote time and energy to doing good, I'm not at all convinced I've done my fair share, especially given how fortunate I've been in my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I and appreciate the humility as well, but I also think, I mean, you're doing something every day to try to make a difference. And I think, I mean, what more can we do? I mean, I guess there's all we can always do more, but here you are every day doing something, and I think that's amazing. And again, you. you know, I've always looked up to you ever since I was on your podcast a few years ago. I've followed you ever since, and I just like every time I see what you're doing, I'm like, man, look what he's doing now. Well, thank so, you. So no, yeah. I and and again, I and, and I appreciate the humility, but I also want to give you some props that uh, we need more people like you out there doing some great things that you're doing. Well, the great thing is, uh, you know, I've spent the last eight years doing this, and the thing I am most convinced of is that the world is full of great people like you that are doing mm -hmm. good in the world. And in fact, most people are. The yeah. vast majority are. I, I often sure. get people who come up to me and they'll say, oh, Devin, I wish I could do more good in the world, but I'm so busy taking care of my mother with Alzheimer's. I really don't have time to do mm -hmm. any good in the world. I'm thinking... You're taking care of your mother with Alzheimer's. Yeah. 
guess what? You get a pass. That's that a, that is the good, right? Sure. That's the thing. Yeah, uh, that's incredibly valuable. Right. And um, yeah. so, yeah, some of us change one life slowly over time. Others change lives a little bit yeah. across a lot of people. But right. I, I, I see there are very few people who are so selfish they never do any good. It's just it, it's it's really pretty rare. Most people sure. are really quite generous, doing a lot of good. And one of my pet peeves, in fact, is that I sometimes see people in the nonprofit world get mad when their friends don't step up readily and support their cause. Right. And I've heard them sometimes say things like, they're all just selfish and they're just in their own worlds and they have no idea about how people are suffering in this part of the world where I'm working. Right. And yes, they're right about that in every way but one, except the, the other people are not selfish. They all have pet projects. Yeah. Maybe it's a mother with Alzheimer's that's sure. completely abs- there. But yeah. but for many, it's just a different nonprofit cause, right? right. Maybe they're into animal welfare. Maybe they're into uh, homeless people in Utah, and yeah. the, the person that's complaining is trying to save people on the Maasai Mara who are living in dung huts, right? Right. And, and they're worthy too, but I, I'm not saying there's... A difference in the value of those human beings. I'm just saying that sometimes uh, nonprofit leaders get upset because people aren't good. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, people are good. Yeah. That altruism is baked into our genes. It's baked yeah. into our consciousness. Love that. Everyone is doing good with so few exceptions that, yeah. that, that it, you know, obviously... It becomes then a task for nonprofit leaders to figure out how to communicate a message that will resonate at the margin exactly. and allow someone to to be drawn into that in. work. Exactly. Uh, we can't just expect people to to right. jump on our cause because yeah. it's our cause. Well, and I, I love how you said it's baked into us. It's in our DNA. Um, you know, you know, I work with a lot of people who have, struggle with addiction and things mm-hmm. like that. And they, they come in with this belief that I'm just not good enough. Something's wrong with me. And I, you know, I always point out and, and help them realize, well, you weren't born a drug addict, right? You weren't born bad. You weren't born a liar, right? We learn these things throughout life, but we were born honest. We were born good. We were born yeah. lo- with love and light and forgiveness in our hearts. And like you said, the, the desire to give back and help someone. So I'm gl- so glad yeah. you pointed that out, Devin. And I think, I mean, I, I don't want to g- go too far down this rabbit hole because <laughs> I haven't been there. I haven't lived it. But so many of the people I think that have been through that experience have never lost their altruism altogether. Mm. That, yeah. that they still have a sense of community, even... yeah even in the depths of whatever they, they they're doing they have friends they care about their friends they're doing good things i think obviously drugs and alcohol and addiction will sometimes cause us to do things that we know we shouldn't right but we get out of control um, but i think uh, kindness is just something that is so baked into it. very few people ever completely lose that right no very well said thank you for pointing that out well, let's let's jump ahead just a little bit here. You know, you've been doing this uh, your mark on the World Center for the last eight years. 
talk about what what a day looks like for you in that and what you know give us kind of a little bit of more of an overview of what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish well um I probably should say uh, I have announced that we're wrapping up the show. Oh, okay. And uh, I'm sort of in a transition, looking okay. for something new. I, um, I'm i in discussions with three nonprofit organizations about taking over the CEO role. Really? I look right forward on. to seeing where this ends up. Um, but, you know, my routine over the last eight years, as I keep saying, it's just it's joyful. Uh, right. Occasionally, I feel a sense of tedium because um, I have just enough, and I, I am certainly not famous, but I have just enough uh, recognition that I've developed in the PR community, the pro- mm. professional PR, public right. relations community, that I get about 50 to 150 story ideas every day. Jeez, uh, wow. And virtually all of them are about someone who's doing amazing things. Right. Uh, and <laughs> so it's really hard for me to choose which ones to pay attention to because I, can I can't, yeah. can't tell all the stories. Right. Um, there's just no way. Uh, and so, you know, the, the most tedious, difficult part of my job is screening through those stories and picking the best ones. Pick which ones, and right. I don't think I do a very good job. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Um, It's hard to pick the best ones. And Mm -hmm. so I know there are people out there frustrated that I didn't tell their story. And I hope they don't feel like that means they're less than, because they certainly aren't. Right. It's my weakness, my inability to, A, cover more stories, and, B, choose the right ones that... Right. It has nothing It'll be to tough do with, when you have that many coming in. Yeah, it, right. it, it is it is overwhelming a little bit. So that's part of my job. I usually do that in the evenings, go through all the story sure. ideas that okay. I get in the evenings. Um, in, so in the morning, I usually get up, kind of clear my inbox, do a little social media. Part of the job of a journalist these days is to be present on social media, so right. I'll do that in the morning. And then uh, I work on, I, I have really, after 1,200 episodes of my show, I've automated so many things. Yeah. So uh, when someone is going to be on the show, I'll send them an invitation and I'll, tell, I'll provide them a link to give me some background information, provide them a link to schedule, yeah. schedule time with me. Yeah. Uh, then we'll do the interview. I usually do interviews on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I've now stopped, but the pattern was Wednesdays and Thursdays. I do the interviews. Because I travel as a speaker uh, fairly regularly, mm-hmm. um, I don't do it every week. Because uh, obviously sometimes I'm off speaking, and so on those weeks I can't be in the studio recording. But most weeks, so probably three weeks out of the month on average I'm recording. I'm trying to publish about uh, 12 episodes a month. That's been the pace. Wow. It varies a little bit, sometimes 13, so 14. That's a lot. But, but I've, I've been <laughs> trying to do three a week. Okay. religiously, which works out to probably 13 or 14 a month on average. Um, wow. And so after this week, in December, we will produce the final 
11 episodes of the show or, or share the final right. 11. They're all recorded now. Right and so it's... Um, so embarking on something new. Yes, yes. Right so on. something new is that coming. That sounds so, cool. Yeah. Very cool. So obviously, uh, we, we said here in the beginning, you, you have, you're have a contributor to Forbes magazine. Yeah. What what type of uh, articles are you um, you know, sending to them and what are they yeah. posting for you? So I write... Um, all about social entrepreneurship, impact investing. Um, I use a, a definition of social entrepreneurship that includes talking about innovative nonprofits, not just mm-hmm. for-profit businesses. But uh, So I've talked about a whole range, a vast range of things. I think of Bill Gates as a great social entrepreneur. It's, I right. was fortunate to have him on the show in May. Oh, yeah. Um, he reached out, he and his team reached out, and I had a chance to talk to him again last week. We didn't put him on the show, but I talked to him and got some, you know, wrote an article about what he was doing. He was in uh, Abu Dhabi for a big uh, event there right. with world leaders to to make $2.6 billion of pledges cumulatively to eradicating polio. So it was wow, cool amazing. to talk to him about that. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, um, doing big things, man. Trying, that's amazing. Well, that's amazing. So, um, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're, you know, wanting to do something like you've you've done with this with this uh, you, your mark on the World Center, how you know, creating this podcast and and doing that kind of thing. If someone wants to make a difference, what what advice could you give them if they're just getting started out or? or if they're thinking of just starting, period. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the key thing, and this is not what anyone in that space wants to hear, but it's the honest, true advice, Right. is keep your day job. Do this mm. stuff on the side. Okay. Let this be your side hustle for a long time until it is proving to generate enough money for you to live on before okay. you walk away from your day job. Right. There are exceptions to that rule, uh, and we all want to be the exceptions. Uh, right. You know, I've known some amazing people who have, uh, you know, leaped into speaking and made a fortune, and people who've leapt into, uh, you know, journalism and kind of this influencer stuff and they build a following on social media and they get sponsors for their podcast and it all just comes together and soon, you know, they're, they're rich, right? Right. I've seen that happen. So I know it can happen, but what people need to realize and understand is that the vast majority of podcasts are something akin to a hobby or side hustle. Right. They don't generate enough for someone to make a living. Sure. Uh, the speaking gigs don't pay well enough to, to close the gap. Uh, writing is a really challenging way to make a yeah, living yeah. In, in 2019. <laughs> um, you know, Sports Illustrated laid off 20% of its staff this year. The Salt Lake Tribune laid off 30% of its staff this year. Uh, the the industry is shrinking. Fewer and fewer people are being paid well to write. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible to make a subsistence wage writing. And of course, you know anyone who can write a bestseller is 
wealthy or can become. I say that, and I, I need to add, you can get on the New York Times bestseller list and really not make a dime. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people have. And so even even being a best-selling author uh, doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that it can... You're making any money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yes, um, what's her name that wrote Harry Potter, right? You know, she is a billionaire, right? Right. So, so super successful authors are, are billionaires, and super famous people will get a seven-figure advance when they write a book because the publishers know that they can right. get that money back. But ordinary people like me don't make money at most of these activities, and um, so you're keeping that day job allows you to have more impact, not less. It allows yeah. you to do more good not less. Yeah. And if your side hustle thrives and blossoms and grows and it will support you, I congratulate you. I'm jealous for, sure. for you. But right. but for those who are you know interested in doing this, yeah, I would just say right. Rule number 1, keep your day job. Yeah. Very I love that advice. Great advice. Um you know, I have a lot of people reach out to me and they want to do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, being a life coach and a mentor and a speaker and all that stuff. And what they don't realize is it's taken me 25 years to build this. Yeah, right. <laughs> 25 years. And uh, and I know things can speed up too, like you said, because of social media. I was doing this before social media, yep. you know, doing it the hard way, you know, going and knocking on doors and, you know, trying to yeah. see if I can get an appointment. But uh, but I, I couldn't agree more is have, you know, make it your side hustle, work really hard, passionate about it, but keep your day job, keep the bills being paid, and if it starts to get some traction, then like you said, congratulations, man. That's the, yeah. There's something to it, and then you can move forward at that point. And it may never pay, right? but you can always keep doing it if you are making a living doing something you tolerate and enjoy. Right. That you're, this passion you want to have uh, with a podcast, with speaking, with right. coaching, yeah. whatever it is, you know, you can keep doing that and, you know, and help the people you can help. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the payoff is if you know you're making a difference, like you always talk about, if you're making a difference in someone's life, then what's, I mean, that's worth it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, and I know you get a lot of feedback from your followers saying, hey, that inspired me. Thank you for sharing that. Or that changed the way I look at things and it's going to make me want to be better. I mean, what's that worth? Yeah. I mean, you can't put a price on that, I don't think, can you? No. no. Yeah. So if you're doing that, then wonderful. Great advice. Well, if if people wanted to, to get to know more about what you're doing or what you're going to, I guess, continue doing, I know you got some new yeah. things coming, it sounds yeah. like, but what would be the best way for them to, to you know, follow you and, you know, maybe even reach out to you, ask a question, that sure. kind of thing? Probably um, the best way um, and easiest way is on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Oh, okay. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Devin D. Thorpe. Okay. Uh, I have a website at devonthorpe.com. Uh, I also have, I have a bunch of websites that I manage and maintain. <laughs> but devonthorpe.com is about me. If you go to yourmarkonthworld.com, that's uh, a lot of the content I produce. There's more of the content at uh, goodcrowd.info. I talk about crowdfunding stuff there, mostly crowdfunding for nonprofits okay. there. Yeah. And then, of course, my Forbes uh, space you can find that at Forbes. Just go to Forbes and search for Devin Thorpe, and you'll find me there. So right on. Well, um, any advice you could give us in, part, in parting words that you could give our followers or listeners? 
Yeah. Um, I would say two two things. Kay. One, um, if you reflect for a minute, I'm sure you will identify that you are already doing a lot of good in the world. Mm. And, you know, congratulate yourself for that and then do more. Love it. Very good advice. Very good advice. Well, Devin, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me today. Um, I, I really, again, love what you're doing. Sounds like you got some new plans uh, moving forward, which I'm sure are going to be great. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. And, uh, you know, thanks for, you know, you had me on a few years ago. And, and like I said, I really appreciated that. And, and a lot of good came from that as well. And I, you know, and I really think a lot of good will come from this uh, episode well, thank uh, you. For, on this belief cast today. So thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Todd. You betcha. Well, there you go, listeners. Uh, thank you for again for your support and believing in me. And uh, again, another amazing guest uh, once again. So they just keep coming. It's wonderful. So thanks so much for your support. And, and until next time. <laughs>